0: Hey, well, do me a favor before you sit down, turn to your neighbor and say, God is good. God is good. Now turn to your other neighbor and say, all the time, all the time. God, is good. God is good. Hey, you guys can go ahead and grab a seat. Hey, thank you again for coming out and hanging with us tonight at our first Wednesday prayer night. We're going to continue in our study of Ephesians 3 that we are calling Let Us Pray. And the idea behind this series is that um, a church that prays is a church that sees God do amazing things. Whenever we first started the church, I was convicted that redemption actually wasn't a praying church, that we had all of the ideas, but those ideas weren't empowered through prayer. And so the ideas were just not enough. We had the parking signs, we had the pop signs, we had the serve team, we had the next steps, we had the systems, Facebook marketing, advertising, we had the logo, the branding, the website, we had the worship leaders with the skinny jeans, we had everything that a growing and successful church needed, but yet at the same time, we still weren't growing as a church. And I was just wondering, God, why is the church not growing? Why do we seem like... We keep getting stuck, and then the Lord, he convicted me, said, Byron, it's just because you don't pray. Like, if you don't pray, then you're not going to see me move. But whenever you do pray, then I'm going to energize all of the other things that you do together as a church. And so we started the first Wednesday prayer nights about two years ago. And it really started with just a handful of people. And over the last two years, we've just continued to grow. And now just looking at the room, it it seems like our first Wednesday Wednesday prayer nights are just as well attended as a Sunday morning service here at Redemption. And that just goes to Speak of the power that prayer has. And so, with that being said, we're actually studying one of the most beautiful prayers in all of the scriptures. It's Paul's prayer in the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is really kind of like a field guide or a letter explaining how a healthy church is supposed to operate. And in the middle of the book of Ephesians, Pastor Paul, he just breaks out in praying for his church. And it's in that prayer that we get a glimpse of his heart and what I believe is God's heart for us. So that way we can learn how to pray, so that way we can see God do what Ephesians 3.20 says, immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. And so let me ask you this question. We talk about it a lot in culture. Maybe you see it in magazines. Maybe you've seen it on TV shows, or maybe you've had conversations with friends or conversations at work about the secret to different things. I know there's some people who are engaged and they're going to be getting married pretty soon, and whenever you're engaged, people love to tell you what the secret to a happy marriage is, don't they? Don't they love to tell you? So let's just take up some uh, audience participation tonight. Um, What is the secret to a, a happy marriage? Go ahead, raise your hand. Let's get some audience participation. Anybody know what's the secret to a happy marriage? Go ahead. The wife is right. <laughs> All right, Well, how about this one? What is, anybody know what the, the secret to success is? Can anybody, anybody raise your hand? What's the secret to success? There we go. Don't give, up. don't give up. That's right. That's a That's wonderful. Anybody else want to give the secret to success? I'm sure there's more than one secret. So don't give up. Anyone else? Anyone else? No secrets? There we go. Come on. What's up, my man? Don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on yourself. My man, my man. How about this one? What is the secret to uh, perfect gumbo. Anybody have the secret to perfect gumbo? What's the secret? What's that? A good roux. What do, what do you got? <laughs> the wife makes the best gumbo. What's her secret? What's her secret? You don't know. It's because it's a secret, right? It's a secret. Okay. How about this one? Uh, what's the secret to, to losing weight? Anybody know what that one is? What's the secret to losing weight? Wait, oh, I got a lot of, no, no, all the dudes were really quiet when it came to a happy marriage, but all of a sudden, all the ladies were like, I have the answer. Okay, wait, wait, what's the secret? Consistency, what'd you say? Just don't eat a lot of carbs. Okay, what else, what else, anybody else? There we go. Fasting. There we go. Yeah, There we go. Fat, that's fasting food, not eating fast food, by the way. All right. Uh, how about this one? What is the, the secret to happiness? Anybody know what the secret to happiness is? So Jesus. There we go. What else? You're in church. You have to say Jesus. I mean, that's the answer. It's either, it's either Jesus or Paul, unless you're Baptist, you know, then what else? Coffee. Tacos. That was my answer. Ding, 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 ding. Tacos is the secret to happiness. And we have a whole lot of things that people come up with. Hey, this is the secret to joy. This is the secret to happiness. This is the secret to to losing weight. This is the secret to the perfect gumbo. And with that in mind, I wanted to wonder, what is the secret to prayer? Because here's what I do know. I know that every single one of us, we know that we're supposed to pray but we also know that we don't pray like we're supposed to. And a lot of people, they they struggle when it comes to their prayer life. People wanna have a dynamic prayer life. People wanna have a healthy prayer life. People wanna pray prayers that shake heaven, that move mountains. People wanna pray prayers that, that, that God hears and catches heaven's attention. People wanna be able to have a robust and dynamic and living and vibrant, healthy prayer life. But at the same time, well, we just don't feel like we, we have that. We struggle when it comes to prayer. We're inconsistent when it comes to prayer. And then sometimes we just pray and it doesn't feel like our prayers go any further than the ceiling, amen? And that's because prayer is not natural to us because prayer is actually something that is supernatural. Prayer is something that, that we are communicating with, with God. And, and so what I want to do tonight is I want to just share with you out of Ephesians chapter three what is the the secrets to having a healthy prayer life. And I'm gonna go ahead and read all of Ephesians three up front. And then I want to really focus in on verses 17 and 18 and 19. Here, here's what Ephesians 3:14 says. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father. At this point, he's talking about how much he loves his church. He's encouraging the church. He's teaching doctrine to the church. He's motivating the church up until this point. And he writes up to this moment and he stops and breaks out in a prayer. He says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, that He may grant to you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your innermost being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith so that you being rooted and grounded in love circle that word highlight it underline it very important may have the strength to comprehend with all of the saints do you know who the saints are okay that's you that's anyone who believes in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. In some traditions, in order to be a saint, you have to die and then perform three miracles and then go through a long bureaucratic list and then eventually become canonized. And eventually, you know, a thousand years later, they'll have a picture of you in the market basket on a candle. And that's how you know you're a saint. But in Christianity, in In the Bible, anyone who places their faith in Jesus automatically is a saint. I know you may not feel like a saint, but you are a saint. That's your identity. You might be a saint who ain't, but... You're still a saint. God sees you and he says you are a saint. And so what Paul's saying is, I wish you would really understand this very important thing and you would comprehend along with all other believers. He's writing to the church at Ephesus 2,000 years ago, but this is just as important and as uh, applicable to us today as it was to them because we're included in that saint's. Just the same way that the church in Ephesus was included in the saint, you also are included in the saint. God was thinking about you when he inspired Paul through the Holy Spirit to write this book because he wants for you to understand the secret to prayer. He goes on and he says, that you'd comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask that we think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever, amen. We love that final verse. The verse that says that he can do far more immeasurably, abundantly, more than we could ask, think, or imagine. We love that verse. And when we think about praying, we want to pray prayers that really just channel that verse. That we can see God do far more abundantly than we could ask, think, or imagine. But in order for us to be able to see the results of praying prayers that you can get far more abundantly than you could ask, think, or imagine, first we must understand the, the secrets to prayer. And so do you know what the secret to prayer is? Like if you just grasp this one thing, if you just comprehend this one thing, like if you, could just, if you could just understand this one thing, I believe it would dramatically transform your prayer life forever. If you could just get this one thing, it will unlock everything when it comes to prayer. Do you know what it is? How much God loves you. That's what he says. I wish that you would be able to comprehend with all of the saints, what? The love of Christ. If you'd only understood the love of God, how much God loves you, how much God is just so endeared towards you, how much God has given to you, how much God serves you, if you could just only understand the way God sees you, then it would transform the way that you pray. That's why he says this. He says, the the width of what? God's love. That is why he talks about the height of God's love. That's why he says, if you could just comprehend the depths of the love of God, it will totally, radically transform your prayer life. Now listen, I know that for many of you, we've always kind of thought like, man, I just want to go deep. I just want to get really deep in the word. I want to do biblical word studies. I want to get out the Strong's Concordance and the Logos Bible software. Like I just want to learn the Greek and the Hebrew. Give me all of the big words that you learned in college right? And I know that. I love going deep. I love reading books and systematic theologies. In fact, I spent $30,000 on a on a degree in a university, and I took a lot of different classes. I mean, I took classes over like the intertestamental period. I took classes over, you know, uh, in, in uh, church history and in the, the church to the dark ages, all the way up through the Reformation, right? I took Greek, and I took different classes where I had to learn some Hebrew. I, I took all all these different classes in college for three years. I mean, I'm writing term papers and research papers about the hypostatic union and the heresies of Arius in 300. And I'm just diving really deep in college. And I'm learning all of these big, fancy words that I use on Sunday to impress your friends, to make you think that I know what I'm actually talking about. And I studied all these things. But you know what I never took a class on in college? The love of God. And here's what I found so fascinating is that for some people, the deeper they go, the further they get from the heart of the Father. May we never get so deep that we forget the depths of God's love for us. If you truly understood and grasped how much God loves you, it would radically transform the way that you pray. I love what John Owen, the the Puritan, he writes, and he says this, he says, any other doctrine apart from the love of God will cause your heart to fly from him. Because if we try to understand the justice of God apart from the love of God, His justice doesn't make sense. If we try to understand the grace of God apart from the love of God, then His grace doesn't make sense. If we try to understand the the immutability of God apart from the love of God, then His immutability doesn't make sense. But if we try to understand prayer apart from love, then prayer just doesn't work. The secret to a prayer life is understanding how much God loves you. And so here, here's actually what Paul says, and just, just four little things I wanna pull out to, to be able to show you. The breadth, the length, and the height, and the depth of the love of God. You know, when we read that, we would typically read it and think like, oh, he's just being poetic. He's just using analogies and word metaphors. But I, I wanna show you that not one word in God's word is ever wasted. That the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write these words specifically And the Bible interprets the Bible. And so here's what I wanna do. I wanna just pull out these words, and I just wanna spend the next few moments just showing you the breadth and the the width and the depth and the length of what God's love truly is. And so let me just focus on this first word. If you're taking notes, just kinda write these down. I want you to understand that the, the breadth of the love of God, the breadth of the love of God is the same thing as the width of love of God, that God's love is wide. That God's love extends to every people, every place, every nation, every country, every ethnicity, every time zone, every person who has ever lived across the planet from the beginning of the ages all the way to the end of the ages. The the love of God expands across the entire spectrum of all of humanity. What is the breadth of the love of God? Revelation 7, 9 John, he has a glimpse of heaven at the end of the age, and this is what he writes. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude, that no one could count from every nation every tribe every people every language and they were standing before the the standing before the throne and standing before the lamb of god whenever john takes a glimpse into heaven here's what he sees every tribe every tongue every nation every people and place gathered around jesus worshiping at the throne of god and beholding the lamb of god that is the the width of the love of God. That God's love for us is so wide that he encompasses every person who puts their faith and trust in him. And so what does this mean? This means for us that God is for us. That God, that God desires a relationship with us. That God desires that we would be gathered around him and for all of eternity that we would be worshiping him. And it's not, just, it's not just for us in America, but it's for those overseas. It's not just for our friends, but it's also for our enemies that they would come to know and love him as well. That God is for everyone. He is for the rich and God is for the poor. That God is for the black and God is for the white and God is for the Asian and God is for the Latino and for the Pacific Islander. This is who God is for, that God is for Republicans, and that God is for Democrats, and that God is for libertarians. God is for for, uh, Android users, iPhone users. God is for all people. His love is wide. God is for every single person. See, in our lives, here's what we see. We see people who are like us, and we see people who are not like us. But here's what God sees. God sees people who need Jesus, and he loves them with a love that can transform and change lives. And the full picture is that from the Old Testament through the New Testament, that he would be gathering a people unto himself to where every tribe, tongue, and nation would be worshiping Jesus, bowing down, Beholding the Lamb of God. This is the width of God's love. The second thing I want you to see is the, the length of the love of God. Here's what Jeremiah 31, 30, uh, 31 3 says The Lord appeared to us in the past, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love, and I have drawn you with loving kindness. That word there is the word has said. It's the, the word of covenant in the Old Testament, loving kindness. Those of you who read the Jesus Storybook Bible, it's the never ending, the never giving up. It is the always and forever kind of love. This is the link that God's love has, that God loved you from the very beginning. Before you were ever created, before you were a twinkle in your daddy's eye, God loved you. Ephesians says that he has predestined us before the foundations of the world out of his love. That when God was hovering over the universe, as the spirit was hovering over the waters of the earth, that God loved you even before that. Before time ever began, God, he loved you. And as he was creating the earth and all the mountains and the valleys, his heart and mind was set towards you and out of love. Even in the fall of mankind when Adam and Eve sinned and the world became corrupted that never corrupted the love of God for you. Throughout all of the Old Testament whenever people were sinning and rebelling and falling away God's covenant love was bringing them back into relationship with him because he still loved you and he knew that through the seed of Abraham would come the nation of Israel and yet he still loved them in their rebellion and he's bringing him back. That's why he sent his son Jesus, because we could never cross the chasm of our sin, and so God comes down, and he does it for us. Through his death, burial, and resurrection, he fulfills the promises of the Old Testament, and he secures the promises of the new covenant. That's how much he loves us, and in that, he sends us the Holy Spirit, who seals us with salvation, and he gives us the ability to overcome sin and temptation, because he knows that our hearts are prone to wander, and so he gives himself to us, because that how much he loves us and he sustains us. He gives us supernatural gifts to be able to empower us. He gives a purpose in our life and a reason to wake up in the morning. How much so? Because he loves us. This is the length of the love of God for us. And if he he doesn't come back and we die and we go to be with him, guess what? He's going to love us in eternity future as well. He has never stopped loving us. His love will never run dry for you. It doesn't matter about what you have done, how good you are. It doesn't matter how hard you work or how good you look. It's his love for you. Right. From eternity past through eternity future, God has loved you. That is the length of the love of God. He has loved you with an everlasting kindness, a never giving up always and forever kind of love. Amen. So what is, what is the height of God's love. What does that mean? That God's love is high? Well, Isaiah says his ways are higher than our ways. So, what does it mean that God's love is, is high? Here's what Ephesians 2:4 says. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love in which He has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He has made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and you have been raised up, and you have been seated with Him where? in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus how high is the love of god here's how high it is is that he will meet you at your lowest point in your lowest moment he will meet you in the grave and he will resurrect you into a new life and he will lift you up into heavenly places When Jesus says he must go, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. That place is where your destiny is. The heights of God's love is that you would be with him in eternity forever, that you would rule and reign as a co-heir with Christ, that you would be seated with him in heavenly places. Jesus prays in John chapter 16 in the high priestly prayer and he prays, he says, Father God, may they be with me as I am with you. And so this is the prayer that Jesus prays at the end of his life, that you would be lifted up into the heavenly places, that you would be seated into the heavenly places, that you would rule and reign as a co co-heir with Christ. This is your truest identity. This is the future self that God has destined for you. And upon the second coming of the Lord Jesus, here's what he's going to do. He's going to recreate the heavens and the earth. There will be a new Jerusalem. There will be a new earth. And in that new earth, we will be given responsibilities and we'll be given roles and we'll be given a part to play for all of the future. You're not just going to be an angel sitting on a cloud like a fat baby in a diaper playing a harp. No, you're going to have a purpose. You're going to have a role. You're your whole your your whole future is still going to be wide open you're going to explore you're going to laugh you're going to learn you're going to grow you're going to get to be seated with christ this is the this is the future this is the height of the love of god for you when you understand this doesn't it just transform the way that we pray this is the secret to, to prayer is to understanding the genuine love of God, the, the width of the love of God for you, the breadth of the love of God for you, the length of the love of God, the heights of the love of God, who God created you to be, who God's working in your heart for you to become, what God's destined over your life. And then lastly is this, what is the, the depths of the love of God? Here's what First John 3, and I love that John writes this because John knew Jesus better than anyone else. John was Jesus' best friend. At the end of Jesus' life, he looks down, he sees John, he says, take care of my mom. That's somebody who loves, that's somebody who knows the love of God. And at the end of his life, John writes this in 1 John, and he says, behold, when you, hear, when you see that word behold in the Bible, here's what it means, get a load of this, this is gonna blow your mind. This is insane, right? That's, that's, what it, that's what it means, right? And so here's what he says. He says, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. When you know the depths of the love of God, it really transforms the way that you pray because God loves you like a father loves a child. Amen. God loves you the way that a mom would love their child. That's the affection that the father has towards you. And here's what prayer is. This is where we struggle with prayer. I think is because we, we don't really understand the heart of the father towards us. That we think we have to earn the love of God. That we think we have to earn the right to be heard when we come to pray. We, we feel like we have to do something to manipulate or twist God's arm so that way he would hear what we have to say. But that's not the case at all. The depth of God's love is like a father loves a child, is the way that God loves you. My daughters are four and two, and when they're little babies and they would cry out, I didn't make them earn my affection. You know what I did when I cried? I ran to them, and I picked them up, and I held them in my arms. That's what God does to us. So if you're here and you have, you have a prayer that's like a cry, your Father will rush in, pick you up, and he will hold you in his arms. Some of you, your, your prayers are like joy and celebration. Did you know you can pray happy prayers? I love it whenever my daughters come home from school and they're so happy and they show me their drawing. They're like, look at this. And I'm like, what is that? (laughs) Is that like a horse rash chest or something? I don't know what that is. I don't know. Uh, But they're so excited about it. I imagine that's kind of how like God feels whenever we show him like our good stuff. He's like, look what I did. And he's like, good job. (laughs) Nice try. Put that on the fridge, Jesus. (laughs) but you know what? He's, he's happy that you do it. Yeah. If you really just behold the, that God the Father would love us. And it's, it's not that there's anything in us that's, that's worthy, but it's because of him we are deemed worthy. And, and I just, this the quote just comes to my mind right now, and I just want to say this because some of you might be thinking this. And I think the Holy Spirit's just given it to me. And some, some people in this room, you, you said that word worthy and you may not feel like you're of any value. But I just want to say this, is that like a piece of art, it's only worth the price that somebody's willing to pay for it. Okay, so like, so like, like they just sold a banana duct tape to a wall for like $3 billion. <laughs> well, why was it sold for that much? Because someone thought it was that valuable. How much are you worth if God would send his only son to shed his blood to die for you? That's the worth and value that you have because of Jesus. And so you can go to God and you can pray to him because you're his child and because he loves you with the love and the affection that a father has for you. This is the love of God. I never took a class in college on it. And I'm wondering why it took me 36 years as an adult to really begin to understand it. But I believe that if we just grasp this one idea, the love of God for us, how much God loves us, the height, the width, the depth, the breadth, the length of the love of God, it would change the way that we pray. And so here's what I want to do as a a close. I'm going to just tell you a quick little story about Billy Graham. We're going to call the band up and we're going to go into our prayer points. Billy Graham is the greatest evangelist of the last hundred years. And he's led crusades, millions of people probably to, to Christ. He was known as America's pastor. And for about 40 years, he would lead this ministry. I mean, praying for pastors, honorary doctorates, doctorate degrees all across the world, he died a few years ago, and at the end of his life, they asked him, they said, Dr. Graham, what is the single most profound truth that you've ever learned in your life? After all the crusades, after all of the revivals, after all of the doctorate degrees, after all the education, after all the things that you've seen and all the sermons you've preached and all the studies you've done, what is the most profound truth you've ever learned? And here's what he said. He said, it's the same truth that I learned when I was in Sunday school. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. May we never graduate from the love of God. May we never move beyond the love of God. May we never think we know more than the love of God. That's why he says, I pray that you would be able to comprehend with all of the saints the love that God has for you. And when you understand the love that God has, then you'll be able to pray that prayer to see far more abundantly than you could ask, think, or imagine. Because you only get to see that when you first understand his love for you. you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. He loves you. He loves you. God loves you. God loves you. And He loves you. And He loves you. And He loves you. And He loves you. And And you too. He loves all of you. And when we get that as a church, man, watch out, because that's when the church learns to pray.